electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Deep impact, the growing power of obesity drugs on full display today. Lilly and Novo Nordisk soaring while the dialysis, diabetes and device makers fall hard. A deep dive on how the street is now viewing these drugs as game changers for the future of healthcare. Plus, unhappy feet. Investors not sliding on shares of Birkenstock on its first day of trading. The stock closing nearly $6 below its offer price. We'll take a look at why so many of the recent IPOs have hit the street like two left feet. And later, inside gold and silver's bright and shiny week, breaking down the banks ahead of earnings season. And as more turbulence in the forecast for Delta, we've got the options action there. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami, and Julie Beal. We start off with the monster implications of a potential do-it-all drug. Shares of Novo Nordisk soaring over 6% today, closing just shy of its all-time high. The move coming after early tests suggests that diabetes and weight loss drug Ozempic could be used to treat kidney failure as well. The new sending shares of medtech companies like Davida, Fresenius, and Baxter International plunging. Baxter, in fact, hitting its lowest level in nearly eight years. And this could be just the start. Ozempic and drugs like it could find uses in treating alcohol and drug addiction. Alzheimer's, even in lowering blood pressure, just to name a few. So what could such a potentially far-reaching treatment mean for the healthcare space? We always say the pendulum swings too far. So you wonder right now if we've swung too far in terms of it being the miracle drug guy. I think it's in terms of names like you mentioned a few, I'll throw another one. Medtronic, it swung way too far. I mean, this is one of the great companies. I mean, people were selling first. Asking questions later, we're talking about a stock that's now a seven-year low, which, by the way, actually in terms of valuations, probably as reasonable it's been for quite some time. Flip side will be, well, guy, you're missing the point. Earnings are going to come down based on everything we talked about. Don't be so sure. Eli Lilly, we've all collectively talked about. It's an amazing company. And we said that last pullback to, I think, 525, 530. We've seen this before. Every time it's been bought, that proved to be the case. The question is going to come at some point. Valuation is going to get in the way. So if you're looking for places that make sense, MDT to me is an interesting play. So for Lilly, I mean, it's hard to justify at the moment, right? Um, As a value investor, it's hard to be long this. But I do think this is such an extraordinary case. We don't know how big it's going to get. Obviously, it has tons of hype, which we don't normally love. But um, I feel like it's I've made a mistake before of owning it both Novo and Lilly, and just think, oh, my God, they gotten out of control and getting out of both of them, and then had to buy Lilly much higher so, where, than where I sold it. I, I don't want to make that same mistake again, but I do think it is getting a bit frothy here. The way for me to look at it, then, it would probably be to sell some upside calls. I do want to have stay in the story, but uh, these reactions are... I mean, I'm very interested. We were talking about this in the ride home yesterday in yes, the car. Yes, we about, do. Yes. As they do. Whenever we look back on this five years from now, will, is it, will everyone be on a Zempic? No. Will some it be form, everywhere? Some kind or, of GLP-1 activist. Right. Or will it, it. Right. Or something very different. But if you mm-hmm. treat 
kidney impairment. I understand. It can treat, I mean, so, so many different things, Tim. So let me, on. after being cynical, let me be positive. I, I think today's, you know, kidney uh, ramifications and so dialysis companies and all the med, uh, medical technology device companies, I think they should be scared. I think this is, at least this study was one of the most powerful in terms of secondary uses. The speculation, and, and I, like, I'm not going to challenge Walmart, the biggest retail in the world, and their data, and they've invested massively in their data. I bet their data is some of the best on the consumer in the world, but um, they talked about they're starting to see an impact even in food purchases. I think what's going on, we'll talk about staples and what's going on in that space, and I think there's a different reason why those stocks have mostly sold off. As it relates to today's news, this is a study that's profound. It's a study that also was, was ended early because they, it was so definitive um, that it made it very clear for people to say uh, the impact here is significant. And that, that is, there's no question, and that's why we get into the addressable market back to Novo and Lilly. Uh, I don't think we totally know here. I do think, though, we, we've made assumptions on, on you know, where these are going, and also the insurance dynamics are still so unknown. Who can afford them? Who will they be available to? And what it means to the insurance companies? Well, the more and more studies that are out in terms of it, improving other conditions, the more likely I would think that it would be reimbursed by insurance. I mean, if it's, it's good if you're, for them, right, right. If you're taking it for cardiovascular to reduce cardiovascular incidence, then it will probably be insured if yes. that is found to be the case when the final study comes out. But I'm, I'm right. curious, Karen, before we get to Julie, you've owned NVIDIA. Yes. You own NVIDIA. I do. How is, it, how is the story different in terms of the possibility of AI and how much mm-hmm. market cap those stocks gained on the back of the hope and promise of AI right. versus this. No, you're right. They're very, they're very, very similar. I think that um, particularly for Lilly, Novo is actually further along than Lilly, right? We, we all expect that they will get approval and, for weight loss. and it would be horrific for the stock if that did not happen. So there is a level of risk there. I think um, they're similar in the, you know, the widespread, oh, it's going to be in everything and, you know, you got to own it. And actually, to me, NVIDIA is cheaper than Lilly at the moment. But the moment is not, this moment is What, on a growth right. perspective? So in other words, like potential on a peg earnings, basis? Like potential what? earnings right. right now. But um, it, they're similar. You're right. They're, they're sort of, you know. In terms of the hope yes, trade, in they terms are, of the total addressable market being you know, unlimited, infinite, unknowable, right. and, and definitely huge. Yes, yeah, so this is a kind of AI dust, we can name it. We you did some other kind I of. I mean, dust? this was this was we called. I think we called it right. the, the, the Nvidia, the, of, Nvidia healthcare. of healthcare, and I think so far so good on that call. And on some level, the, the doors open wider and wider for these two companies every day. Julie Beal, would you rather mm. Nvidia or Novo Nordisk? Not an easy. Um, I we personally probably Novo Nordisk, I, but I really agree that the parallel between AI and the GLPs is the right one to be making. I actually think that in the next five years, the GLPs will have a bigger impact on our economy because the second order effects are massive, right? You imagine if we suddenly are able to address the problem of obesity in this country, how much that's going to impact healthcare costs, how much that's going to impact people's psyche in terms of, you know, antidepressant use. What's going to happen with gyms? Probably negative things, right? Because either people are feeling healthier and they go to the gym more, increasing costs, or they recognize that the real way to lose weight is, you know, in the kitchen without eating. Um, and people just stop going and, and stop subscribing. So I think there's massive, massive second order effects. And I, I think for the economy, it's going to be really, really meaningful. Right. And, and also for GLP-1s and, and its applications, there are studies. 
<laughs> there are clinical mm-hmm. trials being right. done as opposed to AI, which is sort of like we believe that it's going to increase productivity. No, I, I, let me you push know, back you, a little you, bit. You, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> and I rarely push back on. Uh, well, you should uh, push back more than I know. You do it well. We talked about when NVIDIA announced that $7.5 billion going to $11 billion. We yep. talked about how it's going to be much bigger than that. Already, this revenue growth is extraordinary. That's already happening. Sure. And I don't, think, I don't think it's over. I, right. Yeah. But, but will companies look back and say, we spent this much on this NVIDIA chip and it's paid off X amount? Yeah. To the, to the exactly. impact, to, you know, in, in terms of like in a parallel fashion to, you know, these patients in a double blind study mm-hmm. took Ozempic once weekly and found this reduction in renal failure. Well, we come back to and the think too, think too, right? I'm sorry, it's, Julie, it's go NVIDIA ahead. Is a, NVIDIA is a capital cost, right? It's a one-time capital cost. Like, they don't have necessarily contracts in terms that they're going to, you know, have an extension out towards. They do in terms of, like, the immediate supply, but not long-term. People are likely going to stay on these drugs long-term. So there is like a recurring revenue element to this business that, to me, makes it more valuable than one-time capital purchases. It's interesting she says that long term. I mean, that might be the case, and maybe we're going to be perfectly safe. Flip side of these coins is that this drug was not set up to be on for the rest of your life. At I mean, these dosages. At, correct. So we'll see how this, I mean, there's a lot of runway left in these stories. And I listen, I hope it is the wonder drug that everybody seems to think it is. We've heard about wonder drugs before, and we'll see. To Karen's point, though, and it's interesting, in the game of would you rather, I mean, I, I can't even believe I'm about to say this. I mean, I love Eli Lilly for the longest time, but I understand what she's saying about NVIDIA compared to Eli Lilly. So, In terms of the tangible revenues right now that you're seeing. It's a fascinating would-you-rather. Yeah. Do you want to play this game, too? Uh, I always feel left out when I'm not allowed <laughs> in. All right. Well, um, come on in. I, I, I think <laughs> NVIDIA. Um, and I, I just – but, again, I'll emphasize, I think, today's news for dialysis, dialysis companies, again, the impact from uh, – uh, diabetes, et cetera, on, on kidney dynamics and, and what this means. This, is, this isn't a, a vague line. This is, this is uh, right there, um, and it's powerful. And, and by the way, this is what these drugs really are made for. Um, so uh, as it relates to NVIDIA, I, it's been powerful. I, I still think the companies, this is kind of what Julia was just saying, companies that have the ability to have some kind of an annuity factor, and that goes back to Microsoft, who right away rung the register, even though I think Google was at it before they were. So um, I guess NVIDIA. All right. So do the other potential uses for obesity drugs warrant all this euphoria? Let's ask Dr. Kavita Patel. She's an NBC News medical contributor, former White House policy director during the Obama administration. Dr. Patel, always great to get your perspective. Um, So, so far, we've we've gotten a lot of different sorts of studies when it comes to cardiovascular events, when it comes to this flow study, uh, when it comes to sleep apnea. So we're getting drips and drabs here. We know that there are a lot of other trials going on, particularly for Alzheimer's uh, that Novo Nordisk is, is doing. How, how do you regard this drug right now? Is it, in your view, looking like a miracle drug? Melissa, I, I'd love to think it was a miracle drug. I, I'll be honest, I was a little shocked at kind of the precipitous drop in the dialysis companies because none of us were surprised. This trial was halted, as you kind of mentioned earlier, a year in advance because the outcomes were so strong, but they were in diabetics. We know this drug works really well in diabetics, but there are so many barriers to getting there, including cost, adherence, prescriber rate. Go out and survey a lot of doctors. They're not even aware of kind of all the uses. They're just hearing about it on TikTok and thinking about it for weight loss. So I was a little surprised at that kind of sharp decline. Um, However, 
it is a very big deal. It is a game changer. It is something that is going to absolutely create these secondary effects in terms of its expansion to kind of be that one drug that cures all ills. All I do is go back to the science, look at its mechanism, that kind of mechanism of inhibiting the glucagon release, which we get after we eat kind of any sort of meal and get that sugar input into our bodies. That is not necessarily the chemical basis of what we know for a lot of things like addiction disorders or other mental health disorders. And those trials, as you pointed out, Melissa, are nowhere near as robust as the data we have on flow, on sleep apnea, on cardiovascular risk, on diabetes control, double-blinded placebo randomized controlled trials that are incredible. And we've got like less than 20 patients in a liraglutide trial around mental health and addiction disorders. So, and then rat studies, animal studies, we have a long way to go for that. And I've seen a lot of miracle drugs before. This will probably make the biggest dent in our mortality. And I think that's important to consider. It's Karen, thanks for being on. So what do you see as a scientist, you look at this, what do you see as the biggest risk for this drug? Yeah, so the biggest risk is really that we have no long-term studies of this drug. And you've, probably, you've talked about it, Karen, like we, there are things we just don't know. You're already seeing a kind of a warning that the FDA has put on Ozempic to talk about that kind of stomach paralysis or that intestinal paralysis that can be a symptom and very concerning, potentially even fatal. So we're learning more and more. Remember, in a controlled trial setting, we have a lot of things that we try to control and root out. When you bring it into a broader population and you use it off-label, you start to pick up things and you start to see a change in the effect size. In other words, as you widen the denominator of any drug, you're going to see some of those limitations and signals show up in the numerator. And I think that's what you're seeing. So but no question, Lily and Nova Nordisk and kind of Pfizer and thinking about the oral drug and having an oral and IV, uh, sorry, intramuscular kind of sub-Q approach for a drug, it gives you a lot of shots on goal because not everybody wants to inject. So oral drugs could be a big game changer in this as well. Yeah, there are limitations, though, to oral, too, as I understand it, in terms yes. of having to take it a certain time before meals and et cetera. Right. So the timing aspect can be a challenge uh, for people who want to go that route. Um, in terms right. of specifically for the treatment of chronic kidney disease, CKD, do you think that mm -hmm. Ozempic will get that label? And if that happens, I mean, as we see more and more of these studies, is it more likely that insurance reimbursement will be much greater? Yeah. So right now we are seeing active kind of employers in entire states that are kind of declining to cover on the weight loss indication. It is very hard after looking at this data from Flow and we'll get kind of final package of the data published in, a, in probably in the New England Journal, I would expect. But we'll see a final package of data that'll just be so compelling that it would be wrong not to cover this because it should be superior to what we have available to us. That is something that I think insurance companies will have a difficult time. But Melissa, I have seen a lot of drugs where there are superior data right now, and we don't utilize them. The reason we have patients with chronic kidney disease is because we have uncontrolled, poorly controlled diabetics, not because doctors are doing bad things or patients are doing bad things. We just have an access problem in our country, and it's not easy, as you point out, to stay on all these drugs. So I, I don't think it's as easy as that. It certainly helps when you have an on-indication label from the Food and Drug Administration. But that's just one barrier out of many. All right. Dr. Patel, always great to get your take. Thank you. Thanks. Kavita Patel. Let's turn now to the market ripple effect in the stocks impacted by the wide-ranging effects of these drugs. Mizuho healthcare sector strategist Jared Holes joins us here on set. Jared, great to have you with us. Um, when you look at the decimation that happened across the kidney treatment space, how far has a pendulum swung in that direction? Too far? 
It, well, it's not only the, the kidney space, it's the entire medical right. device space, right? We haven't seen um, value destruction like this even during the pandemic when there were no procedures being done literally. And so I feel like, yes, it's, it's extreme. On the other hand, if this is sort of a risk in perpetuity, we really don't know the impact in terms of the financials and we'll start getting numbers soon with earnings. It's really tough to defend the stocks. And, you know, I think guys have tried to and they've been stopped out as a result because they keep on going down every day. Uh, I actually think the, the financial impact, the economic impact is it impacts med tech, um, including the kidney players is probably not so severe near term, but longer term, as the drugs catch on, I think it's, it's a little bit more difficult to defend them. Fresenius's, uh, you know, management response is sort of interesting. This prolongs the lifespan of these patients with chronic kidney disease. Um, so it just pushes out the dialysis and when that happens. And because people live longer, they will actually need dialysis for longer. And so there is no impact. I mean, do you buy that or is that just sort of, you know, glass half full? I kind of buy it. I feel like there's definitely some offsets in the market, whether it's Fresenius, whether it's orthopedic players in terms of patients getting thinner, then being more active, then needing some knee surgery or hip surgery later in life. So all these things are deferred. But I feel like the market is so short term focused now that if we start to bring in the thesis where long term things are fine, but near term there are major issues, I just don't know who wants to buy those stocks in this type of tape. So to, to the stocks, because seeing your notes, you say take profits in Lilly and Novo, and, and you say there's huge value creation. And so where is that? Because where are the places that have also at, at the expense here? Again, we're talking about dialysis companies. Do you go after DeVita? Do you go after Baxter? Do you, I mean, you know, um, J&J has had some collateral impact, even though it's a much bigger, diverse company. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably overly cynical having covered healthcare for so long. So taking profits in pharma stocks that have gone bonkers, to me, makes sense. And that's why, you know, we discussed a couple of weeks ago yep. around AbbVie and Merck and trying to just diversify, not sell everything you owned in Novo and Lilly, but at least, you know, contemplate diversifying away from them, just given the euphoria and, you know, the, the valuation versus, you know, Amgen, Pfizer, Merck, you know, the, the entire space is incredibly dispersed, right? We haven't seen this type of valuation disconnect between the peer group, maybe in the history of, of the sector. So it's less about being negative on Novo and Lilly. It's more about just finding other options. I'm not sure I want to dabble so much in med tech. It's, again, the rhetoric and the noise to me is overwhelming. Yeah, value sometimes, could, it can really be value trap. I mean, especially yes. it seems in pharma, because when something is done, it's done. Right. That's what it kind of feels like in med tech. We're going to get numbers soon. I would have thought that some of the names like Dexcom, Insulate would start to pre-announce just to give the street some sort of idea of, if we're not seeing it, let's show everybody. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we, you know, we could get a pre-announcement tomorrow night, maybe early next week, weeks before they report, because they are literally down every day. And today was like, you know, very extreme, I thought. Back to big cap pharma. Bristol Myers has its own issues, but Mark is another one. Both stocks have not traded particularly well. Feels as if to me that there's been this move. If we're going to be in big cap pharma, we're going to be in Eli Lilly or Novo, and we're going to get out of the rest. Is that, mm -hmm. Does that seem to be going on to you? I think that's been the trade for over a year now. Like we have the clear winners and then the other players that don't have this revenue um, exposure to weight loss, the street is kind of jettisoned. They don't, they don't want it. Or they want the companies to do deals and then when they do a deal, it's well, was that the right deal? So I think they're kind of up against the gun, diversify, do more M&A. Hopefully they get credit for it, but so far they really haven't. What makes you 
still, uh, I don't know what the right word is exactly, cautious about the valuation of Lilly and Novo Nordisk. Do you think that, can you not do the math in terms of getting to the valuation in terms of the addressable market? Or is it just that the run has been so fast, so quickly? I mean, what is it? Because it's, it's probably a hard case to make, I would imagine, to an investor who's like, Jared, you told me to diversify away from Lilly and here we are, new high today. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. Um, yeah, you can make any number up you want for the addressable market. Go and excel, multiply the population by some sort of price, and it's hundreds of billions. We get that. I think the issue is the supply versus the demand. The companies can't make enough, I don't think, to actually put up revenue that's going to appease investors given where the stocks are trading. Right? They're going to report in a few weeks. Manjaro is still not approved for obesity, so that line item is not going to be massive. We know that. And then the payers at some point are going to say, we get it, but we cannot pay for these at this volume without seeing the benefit, which may be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30. We have no idea when the offset is going to be. So I think some of that, too. So who is more expensive through that prism, Lilly or Novo? I think Lilly a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Jared, thank you. Always good to see you. Thank you. Appreciate it. What do you think? Well, I I do own some Elevance, and I Mm -hmm. think about, okay, the insurers and if it's as effective as we think it's effective, they're going to have to pay for it. I don't know quite what the offset is. If you have obese patients who now are not, you're paying whatever it is per month to keep them on indefinitely. That's obviously a big ticket. I don't know what the other side of the ledger is. How much are you saving from all of the things that go along with that? Heart attacks that they don't yes, have, right. the knee replacements that they don't need yes. anymore, et cetera. Yeah, but as Jared pointed out, it has been a have and have nots. There have been a few that have been coming on. Look at Amgen. You know, the, the closing of that Horizon deal has been a catalyst to the stock. People now can actually call their, their pipeline, make some calls. So I, I think, you know, and he was on a couple of weeks ago talking about Biogen. So there, there are places where you have mega cap companies, great balance sheets, that I think the coast is a lot clearer than in some other cases. All right, coming up, the other shoe just dropped. Birkenstock getting kicked on its first day of trading. But can the sandal stock shake off those first day jitters? The traders will give that one a try on next. Plus, as good as gold, the metal bouncing back from a recent drop. So is the old safe haven trade headed even higher? Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Birkenstock having a less than stylish market debut today. The latest high profile IPO opening for trade at $41 a share. That's $5 below where it priced last night and even below its wide expected range of 44 to 49. Uh, The stock closing the day at just over $40. So why does this why does Wall Street have cold feet? 
on this <laughs> name. Well, it's open-toed for the most part. Um, but Karen, you've been going through multiples and what the, how it stacks up versus peers. Yeah, really, really expensively is how it stacks up versus peers. The $5 off that they're on sale right now isn't enough to me. I mean, the growth is there, although the rate is slowing a little. It's, you know, if you, if you look at on, the growth there, like the sneaker brand. right, has a little bit better margin, but gross margin. But gross margins here are excellent. But if you compare it to something like a Nike, which is wildly, wildly bigger, doesn't grow as much for sure. The margins aren't as good. But the valuation at 25 times next year's earnings, let's say, I don't, I'd way rather be in that than I, I don't I don't get this. I don't get how this multiple should be here right now. Mm -hmm. How about you, Jill? You look like you're agreeing with Karen, although I feel like you might have a pair or two in your closet. Mm. I don't! Oh my God, I can't believe you say that. My feelings are so hurt. Um, no, I, I, guy, I agree. Guy has I mean, more than enough to make up for that. <laughs> Just kidding. It, it, you know, like, it's, a, it's a good story, right? It's an old company. It's you know, founder-led and all of that stuff and the margins are great. It's just, for me, what's really hard is that I know that girlfriends of mine have four and five pairs. It's really hard for me to understand how they sustain the level of growth they have. And I think this early taper is an indication of like, let's get out to the market now while we can, while we still have this growth. Because I, I just don't understand how it's sustainable, you know, right? All of their partnerships have been great, but you know, those are, tend to be fads. And I think at some point people move on and then they're just left with their German tourists and socks, you know? <laughs> I like how Julie took it as an insult. That I, yeah, that's I think tight. Maybe, maybe that's part of the problem. Karen, you actually in the in the S one they said three point seven pairs. Oh, right, something owner. like that per owner. Per so owner of right, yeah. so Julie and her cohort would seem to fit that multiple pairs, and then a bunch of other people like Guy who own Zero. none, who is just right. a sale waiting to happen. And Tim also. Yeah, I, I mean, again, there are a few things that you'll never see me wearing, and probably Burks join Crocs and, you know, a few other things. But um, the biggest issue here is, uh, by the way, they should have they should have issued this, uh, this IPO with some petroleum oil and maybe a Grateful Dead Warfield 68 bootleg or something like really that. They really got that $10 billion valuation. But, but the problem is the valuation. The problem is totally the valuation. And if you, if you strip out the price gains, the pricing power they've had, which, you know, you commend them for, maybe that's where they get more of a multiple. But um, they grew 5% through the first nine months uh, of the year. And that's not the kind of growth that you want when the company's priced closer to a Lulu than it is a Nike. And that's the problem there. You close your short on Nike, by the I way. I close my short on Nike. Um, I think we got to a place here where it, it's it's hard to see the valuation get a ton cheaper. The charts tell me. And frankly, I'm, I'm somewhat bullish uh, on a bounce in some of the oversold stuff into the year end. Then we'll see. Not that I'm all that familiar with Birkenstock, although this company is like, what, 250 years old? I mean, it's an old. Yeah, but my around. sense is just if I'm thinking through it, <clears throat> the client base of Birkenstock might be outraged that they went to the markets and now a publicly traded company. Oh. Just think about that Ooh. for a second. Selling out to like the so man. Ben and Jerry exactly. are Who's their clientele right. guy? Just well, we have be that. Careful. Clearly be careful. not you. Apparently, so let's do the math. Yeah. About 30% boomers, 30% yeah. roughly yes. 30% yeah. millennials. They're, and yes. they're heading to Asia, apparently. That's a whole new market for them. But I, you know, no. not right. buying it. Um, there is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The streets are paved with gold. But should your portfolio be as well? The metal bouncing back after a rocky few months. But is the move higher, the new gold standard? Plus, earnings season is fast approaching. So what can investors expect out of this quarter's reports? Why our next guest says it may be time to take some chips off the table. 
You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money Gold, getting some of its sparkle back. The precious metal rising for a fourth straight day after testing its lows of the year. It's now up nearly 3% over the past week. Silver also on the move higher, up 5% in that same period. Guy, you pointed this trade out today. Yeah, Tim as well. So if the dollar had been a headwind, that seems to be abating a little bit with yields going lower. Okay, and that's number one. Number two, we mentioned 100 times. Last year, 2022, central banks bought a record amount of gold. They're on pace to do similar this year. Again, it has not manifested itself into the price, but I've said this and I believe it. They're hedging their own ineptitude or what they seem to think is the inevitable. And you're waiting for a catalyst for gold. We may be seeing it right now. Nobody is long of gold right now to throw a little Dennis Garman at Mm -hmm. you. They will get long of gold significantly higher. That's when it's going to get interesting, because when everybody tries to get in, the gold market's not big enough to support that. It is significantly higher. Through all time, through the previous all-time highs, twenty-one hundred so twenty-one fifty-ish, and then yeah. and then off we go. And think about what gold has done. Everyone was really critical. Hey, why didn't gold rally when we had all these dynamics that were so gold-friendly? Um, dollar rallied eight percent, and gold held serve as far as I'm concerned. So um, I think I, I, I think not only is gold very interesting, but I think silver is trading cheap to gold. If you look at that ratio, that looks fantastic. And then you get into precious metals, but it goes back to the miners. There's a company in South Africa called GFI. Look at that chart. Look how it's bouncing back. They also had some numbers out there. Um, I think this is part of the next 18 months. Gold is going to trade very well. Karen? I've never gotten gold, actually. Uh, so when you say nobody owns it. Nobody owns it. So who, I mean, somebody and owns when it. When we say nobody owns it, no, we're talking no about the, the institutional, players, no, okay. right, the momentum institutional. The marginal buyer. Gold's okay. not on their radar screen. And this is going to sound until it is. And then everybody tries to get into All the systems get triggered at once. And that money that goes into equities, which the equity market can support because of the size, the gold market cannot support the amount of dollars that I think will try to flow in, and that's when you get those big moves. All right. Coming up, earnings inbound. Companies and investors gearing up for the latest round of reporting. Our next guest says there could be some upside in the short term, but don't get too excited. While you may want to start 2024 on the defense, Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo Securities will join us next to lay out his take. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, closing in the green for a fourth straight day as investors digested Fed minutes and await tomorrow's consumer inflation data. The Dow up 65 points, the S&P up about half a percent, and the Nasdaq leading the gains up seven-tenths of a percent. And long-ended, long-term treasuries continuing to retreat from the 16-year highs just last week. uh, The 10-year treasury ending the day at 4.56 percent. That's its lowest level of the month, the 30-year at 4.7 percent. And take a look at Microsoft shares after hours. The IRS saying the company owes $29 billion in back taxes. Microsoft saying it will contest the claims in court. 
live yeah, there's studio like a party going on. Today. It's very noisy. Yeah. Um, yeah, but in terms of the, we, we noted yesterday proud. that the move in stocks and move in yields is actually a continuation. And so if you look at it through that prism, Tim, you weren't here last night, it's been a, a remarkable rally. Well, it's been it's been 30 bips. And if you look across to some other places, especially in Europe, it's been even more extraordinary. The dollar's pulled back almost 2%. So, um, I, look, I think a lot of this has to do with the dynamics where uh, we had that, I, I think, really, I think we had that moment on Friday in that payroll number. That reversal was powerful, um, and it shouldn't have happened given the, the fundamental news there. Um, I, I think you also have a place where there are a number of very interest rate sensitives that have had a chance to take a breather. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the parts of the market that are not the, the sorry guy, Magnificent Seven. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. He's on board with you. I mean, you're just like getting under my skin. What? I wonder if the folks yeah. at home can hear all that background noise. Well, it's, I, it's, it's a, a sold-out house here at Fast yeah. Money today, as it often is. It's but. not, you know, it's funny. You would think you're almost at like a Yankee game. This is new to you because it's Shea Stadium. You don't hear a damn thing. Yeah, well, Shea Stadium doesn't exist anymore, guy. Oh, sorry. And where's that. the laugh track? Anyway. Sometimes we actually build in a. A funny, not so much. Meanwhile, Wells Fargo has a message to investors. Use market strength to take risk out of your portfolio. The call coming two days before earnings season kicks off. Chris Harvey is the firm's head of equity strategy. Chris, great to have you with us. Great to be back. Um, just as context, we're about, what, 50 points away from your year-end target at this point. So, about that. So what do you mean by take risk out of your portfolio? Because I feel like risk is in the eye of the beholder at this point. That, that, that's a fair point. So what we're saying is, hey, the... the trading target of the trading range is for it's 4200 to 4600 you get up to 4600 and, and you can do a couple things you can just put some cash on the table or what you can do is start going back into those more traditional defensive sectors right right now what we want to be is we want to be up the capitalization we want to be in the uber caps because we think that's the, the best risk reward at this point in time but a lot of those defenses have really rolled over and now what we're seeing is a situation that's very similar to late 18 and late 21, right before the more defenses really began to outperform. So I think that's where you want to go. So Uber caps, meaning the magnificent seven. <laughs> Twice. I use air quotes as well because I don't think we should. And, and you're doing we, it we on hump day. We should assign a, you know, a descriptive to a group of hump seven day, stocks. Month and a half before Turkey Day. Um, mm. Is that those are those are risky or they're defensive? No, so those are now seen as the more defensive things, and it's more than the magnificent seven. It's the 50 biggest stocks, right? They're, they're trading at, at a slight premium. You're getting good valuation. You're getting good growth. Um, you have an AI kicker and you have pristine balance sheets. So what's not to like? And and what you're seeing from the more defensive ones is rates were going higher, is they just weren't performing. They weren't holding up because of leverage issues. But now I think that creates an opportunity. Unemployment rate, 3.7. I mean, we get a hot PPI today. Market doesn't care. I don't know about CPI tomorrow. Yeah. What makes, you think the Fed's going to cut the back half of next year? I think so. But, but right now, I mean, what's the, there's no reason to even be thinking about rate cuts, it seems. Now, I understand next year is a long way away, but still, I mean, the environment they find themselves in does not support a rate cut. No, no, it doesn't. You don't need a rate cut. What you need is you need rates to stabilize, which is what they're doing. You need the Fed to, what, what got us here is people mismanaged the message. It was the Treasury, Treasury being much too aggressive in the middle of the summertime. It was the Fed. Now we're beginning to manage the message better. Rates are coming down. We're going into earnings season. Typically what we've seen in the last couple of earnings season is things are not as bad as expected. Things start to rally on that not as bad expected news and, and we can move higher. So you don't need a ton. You just need a stabilization of rates is what you're getting and you need numbers that come out. And sure, we'll see all of that. 
So in terms of um, the trouble on the horizon for next year, what sort of trouble are we talking about and what sort of downside are we talking about? Yeah, so, so Mel, a couple things. The first thing I'll say is, as we were talking about before, these defensive sectors are telling you that everyone's moved over to one side of the boat. People have taken on too much risk. They've left risk aversion um, for dead. And that's a key signal. The second thing is there is some sort of lag to monetary policy. We haven't seen that lag. And typically, that's not great for the capital markets. And the last thing is people are telling me that we're going to have a great recovery. I just don't see it. How do you have this great recovery without a contraction, without a pullback? There's no pent up demand. And so I think numbers are too high. And with valuations where they are, you could have a very difficult first half of next year. All right, Chris, great to see you. Thank you for coming by. Thank Chris you. Harvey of Wells Fargo. Uh, Julie Beal, how are you playing defense at this point? I, you know, the same way we kind of always do, which is just buying good quality names. And I, I think this year has really been a great year for people who are just focusing on, you know, good businesses. Because if you came into this year and assumed, like everyone else, that there was going to be a recession, yeah, and you loaded up on utilities and, and super defensive stocks, like you missed a massive rally. And so I think it's, if anything I've learned this year, it's just trying to predict the macro is just too difficult. There's too many exogenous factors that are driving it. And then we have other geopolitical risk. So I'd rather just own good businesses and call it a day. Well, I, I, and speaking to that, I actually think, and I'll footnote Julian Emanuel from Evercore, who's always on our desk and saying interesting things. I was reading his recent note, he talked about correlations. It's a great stock picker's market because correlations are really low here. Uh, and you find some of those great companies that have been beaten up. And you have a lot of different places, and even with the banking sector. I mean, we've got J.P. Morgan about to report. They're probably going to show EPS growth of, of uh, in the 20s, and you're going to see a city who could be in the minus 20s. Um, but again, you've got banks that are trading at roughly eight times. They're trading at a 50% of an S&P multiple, which is significantly below, like not even close. So I think that not only is the bar low, and it's nice for banks because they kind of come in sometimes a little too hot. Sometimes they come in weak. They're definitely coming in weak here. But it is a time to pick stocks. It's a time to pick stocks and bombed out staples. It's a time to find utility companies that don't have a dividend question. Their capital structure hasn't really changed. Uh, the market's given you a lot below those, yes, guy, those magnificent seven. Market's given you a lot of opportunity. That's three. What is if this is a drinking guy. game. Oh, the number could, of times we mentioned it. Twice, Tim, once for you. Karen might want, I don't know if Julia has any interest, just to sort no, of fork no. me a little more. I don't do want to poke the bear. Yeah, Why please. Not? It's too Fine. scary, even Fine. from here. Poke? <laughs> poke, poke, poke. Um, Julian Emanuel, by the way, will join us on Monday. So we'll say some more interesting things, hopefully, on this desk. Coming up, Delta on deck. How will the airline affair post earnings results? We've got the options action on this one. Next, and CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage. Here's Verizon's chief talent and diversity officer. Our greatest superpower is the collection of unique attributes that make us one of a kind. We represent different cultures and face different circumstances that mold who we are, creating valuable perspectives and innovations. As Hispanic leaders, it is important to be relatable role models, real-life manifestation of someone's aspirations. That's why it's so important to celebrate Hispanic heritage. Own and honor your story, harness the power of what makes you you, and pay it forward for the benefit of generations to come. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings season on the horizon, and we're getting a taste of the action with Delta results due out tomorrow. The airline stock losing more than 25% over the last three months, but options traders may be betting that cabin pressure could be over. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. 
Hi there, yeah. So Delta traded about two and a half times its average daily options volume today. Right now, the options market's implying a move of about four and a half percent, higher or lower by the end of the week. But calls did outpace puts in the most active contract were the weekly 35 strike calls. We saw over 5,000 of those trade for about $1.35 a contract. Those are slightly in the money. The buyers of those risking about 3.75% of the current stock price, making a bullish bet that the stock could catch a bid here. Yeah, Tim? Greatest trading stocks in the market. It's time, and it is time. I mean, and Guy mentioned this a couple nights ago, around this 35, 36 level on Delta. They, by the way, have not told you anything subject to the macro that, that's hurt their business. We know what oil prices have done. We also know that these guys are pretty masterful at hedging. Um, I, I do think the consumer's travel penchant will slow down, but right now this is a multiple that you can stand behind and a trading range. In line, which is probably reasonable, given what – Stock's up 8% on earnings. And 49 down to 35, that was a move. I think it trades back into the low 40s. All right, Mike Co. thank you. And do not miss an exclusive interview with the CEO of Delta. That's tomorrow morning after results cross the wire. 7 a.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up, how much higher can NVIDIA run this year? Some Wall Street firms are betting on sky-high moves ahead. The details and the trade next. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of Intuit. Catch the full interview, top of the hour, on Mad Money. Meantime, more Fast Money in two. We had um, the CEO of NVIDIA in last week. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a CEO so, let me put it in the right terms, calmly confident Mm -hmm. in my entire life. I've never seen anyone so completely relaxed and so confident about their prospects in my entire career. Convincing then. Yeah. That was a big short investor, Steve Eisman, on Fast Money last night, talking about NVIDIA's outlook. The semi-stock popping more than 2% today after some bullish analyst notes. Oppenheimer naming it a top chip pick with a price target of 650 and Cowan raising its price target to 700 from 600 Karen. Can you get aboard 700 bucks a share? Uh, that's, a, that's a bit of a stretch. But, um, I mean, as I said, I don't think it's super crazy right now, given, given what the environment is. It's the Ozempic, I guess, of the, of the AI space. But um, I, do think it, it's, I do think that it's cooled a little. The Pixie Dust has cooled a little. So I, I have a position. I'm probably going to sell some upside calls. Going into earnings, expectations will be sky high. Whatever the whisper number is, no matter how high that gets, they'll have to beat. Well, semis overall as a group, I just want to point this out, are, are taking leadership again. If you look at the outperformance to the S&P over the last three weeks, uh, and again, I'll reiterate that the NASDAQ 100 finished at a fresh relative high for the cycle to the S&P. So semis as a group, uh, I would say, have that momentum into year end right now. Julie Beal. Yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on the semis, but I think for sure NVIDIA has such a strong competitive position and it's differentiated in terms of its software, so it has real moats around it. Um, I think, you know, for us, semiconductors are a hard place to play, but this would probably be the best one of them all. Right now, the market seems to be pricing in about 60%-ish EPS growth and about 37% revenue-ish back to the envelope. That's what seemingly price. So if they hit those numbers... You know, can I play the role of Dan tonight? Which have at it, have at it, people. Have at it. But you know, in line or miss, and then you start to get into some. Are we starting to see a deceleration 
or potentially did we see double or triple ordering? That's the other side of this uh, equation. All right, let's now get to Boeing. Shares of the aircraft manufacturer lifting off today after UBS said it would rally more than 40% from here on aircraft demand. The stock is up 49% from a year ago, but down nearly 17% in the last two months, Tim. I think Boeing really had a tough time with higher interest rates as well and cost of capital. And again, this is often when you're buying Boeing, it's a free cash flow story. So um, to the extent that some of those dynamics in terms of their cost of capital, but really it's not, you know, this isn't a company that borrows at high rates. I mean, they, they, they have a very solid balance sheet. But I will say um, that was the correlations that took this stock down from 235 and one of the best charts to one that's really traded down almost uh 20 straight sessions or so it seemed. The, the upgrade is is about both demand and, and just some stability under that 737 max. But the best part of the valuation story here really should be at the 787 level. That's where they make their money. Um, I'm long Boeing. It's been a frustrating couple of years, but um, I still think that it, they're back on the beam. Yeah. Well, if you want to just do levels, I'm not saying it's going there, but 180 would be a great entry point. That would basically be the 50% retracement of that recent high we saw, 240-ish, and that low of 120, believe it or not. That makes sense. And quite frankly, at one, where are we, 195, we're not that far away. Yeah. Julie, where are you on Boeing? Yeah, I mean, I agree with I agree with Tim. I think the 787 is, for the long term, probably one of the best planes out there. It really opens up a lot of routes that are very difficult to fly, and it sort of staunches out competition. So it, it's a strategic plane, and it's where they make a lot of money. But at the end of the day, they still have to make their 737s work, and I, I think that's been kind of the, the challenge for them. So long-term dynamics, I think, are very positive. Short-term, it's probably choppy. All right, up next, final trades. trade time, Julie Beal. I agree with the risks and uh, regulatory re- reporting for the GLP, so I like West because it's just drug delivery. You don't need any of Tim? Yeah, that IBB, but another major component of it, Biogen, which was also endorsed by Jared a couple weeks back, B-I-I-B. Take a look. Karen? Yes, so I, I'm starting to think this rally, this bounce back, has been a little too much too quickly. It's almost, I don't know, almost 4%. So I bought some S&P puts today. A lot of noise in the crowd. A shout-out to the folks at St. Thomas Aquinas. They're yes, here with us this house. evening. Yes. Loud. Uh, Medtronic, MDT, Melissa. Smart guys. Right. Thank you for Gals. watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. 
Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 